I'm Joe Feeks, editor of Poultry Health Today, and with me is Dr. Kalen Cookson. He's director for clinical research at Zoetis. Always good to see you, Kalen. Good to see you too, Joe. The poultry industry is under a lot of pressure to raise the bar for salmonella control. You know, there was a time when the spotlight was really on the processing side of the business, but people are taking a look at what can be done in live production now as well. Um, you've advocated vaccinating broilers uh, in certain situations as a means of doing that. Uh, before we even talk about your research, let's talk a little bit about vaccinating broilers for salmonella, because historically, this hasn't been done a lot in the United States. That's correct. Um, when we first introduced our product, um, we already had competitors that had been in the marketplace for one or two years, and they, um, they went through evaluation of those products, and then it just went by the wayside, because I don't think uh, the number, uh, the requirements were so rigid that people were compelled to vaccinate, but that has really turned full circle in the last couple years. And so uh, obviously they, they upped their game as far as vaccinating uh, on the broiler breeder side of the business. Right. Uh, when do you know if it's a good idea to be vaccinating broilers? Well, uh, I think it's a, uh, it's a viable option and, and it's something that people seriously consider when they're in a category two or especially a category three situation. When, once you get to a category three, it takes you a year to get out of that and you have to be just about perfect to get out of that. So that's where you have very little margin uh, to get a positive in the plant. So not only you up your interventions as much as you can in the plant, um, there's a lot of other live side interventions and vaccination is one of those uh, one of those uh, uh, interventions that becomes much more viable. But how do we know that the vaccination actually works? I mean, obviously you can vaccinate birds and then you know test them for salmonella and so forth, but where the rubber really meets the road is, is when they're heading into processing. Right. How do we know we're gonna have a lower level of salmonella in those vaccinated birds? It's not easy. Um, we, we know when we do control studies we can we can we can um, we can measure that um, but when you get to a field situation uh, there are so many more variables uh, there are so many differences between farms and management um, and levels of challenge uh, can vary the breeder flock sources can vary from one hen flock to another so in that case you really need to generate a lot of numbers to really get a confidence in, in that you're you're seeing a difference, and that's why when we run studies, we usually run for an entire um, cycle of placements. So that's depending on the size of the bird and the length of downtime. That that's usually somewhere between 12 and 14, 15 weeks, sometimes 16 weeks. Now, at the 2018 American Association of Avian Pathologists meeting, you made a presentation about some research involving vaccinated birds. Can you walk us through the trial and, and what did you find? Yeah, so um, we ran a, a trial which basically is a um, week on, week off type of trial. There were two weeks on and off. Um, and so you two alternate- Two weeks on and off of? Of vaccination or no vaccination. So you had control weeks where there was no live salmonella given to birds. And then on the weeks where 
Polvac ST was administered, it was given by spray in the hatchery, and then two weeks later, each of those flocks were followed up with a field booster um, by, by spray as well. Which is a traditional protocol well, for this vaccine? Well, yeah, the timing is traditional, but, uh, but uh, the field and, and the day of age spray is traditional, of course. But uh, people, some, uh, some complexes might water vaccinate, some might spray vaccinate, depending on, you know, what they're set up best for. And so um, you went through these different protocols of vaccination. How did you evaluate results? We evaluated results. Uh, first of all, um, what we try to do is, is measure in the processing plant before the processing side interventions uh, in your chill tanks, for example, in your sprays. So that's usually at rehang, which is where we did it in this particular study. And why is that so important to do that? Well, I think it's important because you're closer to when the birds come into the plant. So um, I think we, we try to get as good a gauge of what's coming into the plant because that's where we're trying to make a difference and that's where the vaccine should be making a difference. So we don't want to confound the, um, the analysis by the interventions that, that happen downstream from rehang. So that's where we focus. Although in this particular study, we also looked at parts, which is, become, is going to be uh, a, a, a new standard that uh, will be under a lot of scrutiny. And so what did you find? So what we found is, number one, that in the controls, about 75% of all the isolates uh, that came back uh, fell into the SIRVRC, uh, which is not unusual. Um, and usually Kentucky drives that, um, which we found plenty of Kentucky and some other serotypes uh, within C's. Uh, and then most of the other 25% were group Bs. And, uh, and that's probably pretty typical unless someone's having a real SE issue, which a lot of times is coming from the, the breeder side of, of the flow. And in this study, we saw a reduction in recoveries from the rinsates of uh, about 32%. That's impressive. Yeah, and that broke down by about a 25% reduction in C's and a 50% reduction in B's. And what's interesting about that is that's, that's pretty much in line with what we've seen when we've done controlled studies uh, where we've challenged with Heidelberg or Typhomerium, which are B's, and we've challenged with Hadar and Kentucky, which are C's. And we've seen, yeah, we tend to get better reductions with the B's and, and with SE, which is a D. Um, but we still, we're seeing some reductions in the C. So we, we, we believe vaccination can really make a difference if you're trying to get your numbers down. So practically speaking, um, what would be the takeaway messages for poultry companies that are either in category two or, or in category three? What, what should they take out of this study? That live vaccination on the broiler side is a viable um, option and consideration uh, to get numbers down as low as possible. We've, uh, you know, this, this particular study, we saw a 30% reduction in a previous field trial, which we've presented at previous meetings, 
uh, we, we saw a 60% reduction. And that's in line with um, our earlier pen studies where we, uh, we relied on natural exposure to Bs and Cs from the, pro from the, from the hens. Uh, and we saw right about that, th between 30 and 60% reductions at rehang. So those numbers are impressive. Um, what's the pushback then with salmonella vaccines? Why wouldn't more companies want to do that? Why would they want to take the risk? Well, it, it increases your live cost. Um, so uh, that's that, and, and you're, we really recommend two vaccinations. So it's not just one, one application. So your price is twice, twice uh, your per thousand, you know, cost. And so that's always going to be factored in, you know, um, when, when people are trying to get the, the greatest return on their investment, whether they, they put that money in the processing plant or put it on the live side. But when people are in categories two and three, price becomes less of a factor um, because, you know, there's a lot more at stake. Do other factors come into play? For example, if it's a no antibiotics ever production scheme, are they going to be more susceptible than somebody who's still using antibiotics? Yeah, the, uh, that's a running debate, and uh, there's no real concrete evidence that uh, going to NAE, for example, will raise your risk of salmonella. Em empirically, we, we think that uh, that would be the case. However, um, companies, when they're transitioning to raising NAE, uh, they do a lot more things to try to reduce their, uh, their bacterial levels, improve their immune systems of their birds, so their vaccination programs, a lot, a lot gets intensified to uh, lower that bacterial risk, and along that goes salmonella. There is one, one other consideration, and it's not just numbers. So category twos and threes, that's all strictly based on your incidence. And I said before, Kentucky, generally drives that, but uh, another consideration is what serotypes do you have and how, how much do you have of those that are of human health importance? Okay, so, um, and that might tip the scales if you're in a category three and you're less inclined to consider vaccination. The, the good thing about vaccination is, I would say most of your human disease serotypes or the highest incidence of those that people experience in production tend to be ones that live STs are more efficacious against, your, your typhimuriums, your Heidelbergs, your enteritidis. So we've talked about salmonella as a foodborne pathogen and what we can do to bring those levels down. When you vaccinate broilers for salmonella, do you see any difference in the performance of the birds? That's a good question, Jill. Um, in fact, uh, we have in, in our two major field trials that we've conducted, just look comparing to non-vaccinated flocks, we have seen uh, in one study uh, about a point and a half improved uh, adjusted feed conversion, and another one over two points. Um, and what seems common about both of those is that adjust, improved adjusted feed conversion seems to be uh, uh, directly uh, due to 
improve average daily gain. So we're seeing about two-tenths of a point of improved average daily gain. And what's interesting is that that's in line with the previous pen studies that we've done in commercial broilers. So I think the, the reason that might be, might be twofold. Number one, our vaccine, I don't think, uh, exacts a cost in performance on the birds. So, um, you know, our vaccine, you don't see any depressed uh, gain just by administering it a couple times. And uh, number two, I think, it, I mean, the only other explanation for improved performance is uh, wild-type salmonellas, you know, exact a cost on, on performance. You know, they're competing with other, for nutrients in the GI tract. And, so they're taxing the energy of the yeah, bird? Yeah, if you take, take, uh, take away that component or, or lessen it, I think uh, you're recovering more of that performance. The, the good thing about that is, you know, it's a way, you know, we mentioned the input cost of adding that vaccine. Some of that could be recovered if you, if you can demonstrate improved performance. So beyond gut health and beyond vaccination, what else can broiler producers do to keep the salmonella levels to a, a minimum? Well, um, hatchery sanitation, uh, reducing, uh, you know, cross-contamination, bacterial exposure of all kinds is going to help on salmonella. We know that there's a link between generations in production, so the more, of course, vaccination is a big part on the broiler breeder side and in the parent stock, um, but anything you can do to lessen the bacterial exposure in the hatchery, because with salmonella, the earlier that exposure, the more susceptible the birds uh, probably the greater the blooming of, of that salmonella and the more difficult it will be to control the loads coming out. Um, another factor um, would be uh, litter quality um, and uh, water availability in that litter. So um, if you have wet litter or pockets of wet litter, um, then uh, you're, you're going to tend to have a higher levels of bacteria in general and salmonella being one of those. So that would be another key uh, intervention to lessen the risk of high salmonella coming into the plant. Well it sounds like the poultry industry still has much to learn about salmonella. It's come a long way but has even more to learn and they're going to have to learn about it pretty quickly I guess. Yeah. And I think uh, the industry has made uh, good strides in, along those lines and lowering our numbers. I mean, they speak for themselves, but, you know, the, uh, the standards keep tightening. Absolutely. Well, we've been talking to Dr. Kalen Cookson. He is a veterinarian and director of clinical research at Zoetis. Kalen, thanks again for explaining all that to us. You're welcome, Joe.